Hello, everybody. In this episode of the SAP Learning Insights podcast, we're doing something a bit different. We're going to be talking about learning, learning strategies, optimal conditions to learn under, knowledge retention, and anything else that comes up because of these discussions. The expert guiding us through this journey is going to be Natalie Wood, founder of Engage to Evolve, a certified team coach and specialist in mental health and neuroscience. Natalie, welcome to the podcast. With the start of each podcast, we always want to get our hero's origin story. Tell us a bit about yourself, where you came from, and how you became the expert you are today. So first of all, David, thank you very much. Thanks for having me uh, on this podcast. A real pleasure. And thanks for having me talk about something I'm very passionate about. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really passionate talking about learning because I started my professional life of as a teacher, actually. I started off as a teacher, um, very briefly only wor worked in that profession, though, and went into business. So I spent close to 20 years in um, American corporations in commercial roles, sales support, commercial operations, contract management, business development. So all the roles that would help close contracts. Mm -hmm. And after having done that for around 20 years, I went back into studying and I studied the psychology and neuroscience of mental health because I found that that was really where my passion lies. And I'm back into teaching, um, back into teaching and coaching. But this time it's really what is very dear to my heart. And that is how we can all live better lives, how we can understand ourselves better for the benefit of well, our own well-being, but also then the thriving of the organization that we work for. So, um, yeah, that's how I've become the person I am today in Engage to Evolve. Very cool. So emotional well-being, mental health, that's, I think, a topic that finally is becoming a bit more acceptable to talk about for one reason or another. It was, I don't know, something people swept aside, declined to comment on, were a bit uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah. And I'm glad that it's something that is becoming more of a normal topic to address. So cool that uh, we could talk about this today and uh, address it a bit more. So, you know, um, same, same here. I'm really glad that it has become a topic. And it is, a, I mean, if there was a silver lining to lockdowns and having to be at home a lot and having to question the things that one's doing, this is surely what COVID has brought. People have realized that um, mental health is a real thing. It was a real thing beforehand. So actually, when I started my shift, it was just before COVID. And the thing that was important to me then and remains important nowadays is that looking after one's mental health or other people's mental health as an organization, you're actually doing yourself a favor. So it's not that you're doing the mental health thing for the sake of mental health but you're actually looking after your brain. And when your brain is well, it's going to work much better. And when your brain works better, you get out of the box thinking, you get engagement, you get, you get better performance. So I started this journey wanting to make things better from a side of, you know, how, how do you get workplaces function better for the people, but also for the organization. And mental health is a huge piece in that because we are all human beings working in these organizations. So, um, yeah, we, we, Still tend to look at mental health from the mental health angle, which is not wrong. Just that if we look at it from a holistic brain view, we can realize that actually mental health goes with learning. It goes with evolving, uh, development. It goes with better leadership. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it goes with uh, a lot more than not suffering from depression, which a quarter of the population does. So, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I, I think you gave a, 
already some pretty good hints as to what Engage to Evolve does. Um, maybe could you expand a bit more on, on, on what it is and how you work with client organizations to make them run better? Yeah, with, with great pleasure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for, for giving me the space. Yeah, of course. So Engage to Evolve really is about engaging as individual, but also for organizations or teams. Um, I mentioned that I studied neuroscience and psychology of mental health, precisely because uh, it was important to me to understand what is ill mental health and what is good mental health, because we always have mental health, just as we always have health, uh, physical health. But I also wanted to see how can we bring that into the organization. And for that, um, I went into systemic team coaching because one thing that is very relevant in mental health is how we interact with others. And that is also very important if we think of team collaborations, if we think of team performances, how we manage to work together really matters. And if you bring these two things together, you can really help organizations evolve, which is the word I like to use because evolve comes from within. It is not something that is imposed from without. And you need to look at both. You need to look at the team at the organization at processes that are in place so that's really when I go into the organization I, I would look at how do the teams function how do they connect to what they actually do how do they understand the purpose of the team that they're in or the stakeholders that they serve but at the same time I will always look at the individual what is the individual here to do what is their strengths what are their their values, what is it that stresses them. So I want to give both space, the individual to become a better version of themselves and the team and the organization to grow with those individuals. And doing that via coaching, via leadership training, I'm a lot about human centricity. Um, psychological safety is a big topic, also workshops on that. Um, and some teachings, you know, some teachings about, well, how does the brain actually react to stress and what can we do about that? Yeah, so um, all of that is in, yeah, engage to evolve. You have to engage if you want to evolve. You can't expect it just to happen to you. So, um, yeah, that's why engage to evolve. Indeed. Yeah, so uh, any sort of meaningful change doesn't just fall into your into your lap usually. Sometimes people get lucky, but yeah. in general, you need to put in the work to, to make some real change happen. You will, yeah, um, I have to add there, lucky, yes. But you only get lucky if you see the opportunity. And to see the opportunity, you have to have a brain that is primed towards being open to see the opportunity. If you're super stressed, all your brain is going to do is going to look for a way out. Yep. All the opportunities can be in front of you. So, yeah, luck is an interesting thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, so when you find yourself uh, in these situations of coaching, how often do you find people having trouble maybe i imagine most people you encounter can maybe understand the theory behind what you're trying to to teach them but um how often do you see people having trouble actually applying it in their behavior yeah this is a this is a super interesting question because it's not actually about learning because you can you can learn all all things about how the brain works and what makes you well. And we all know that we should exercise and we should drink a lot of water. And we all know the things that are good to do. Doing them is harder um, because doing them means changing behavior. 
And changing behavior is much more ingrained in our brains, especially if we've done it frequently. So if you've started a new behavior you know, last week, uh, it'll be very easy to change that again. Mm -hmm. But if you've had a certain behavior over years, you know, a lifetime even, it's going to be much more difficult to change that. So it's much less about the conscious cognitive learning of what makes sense and much more about finding the way to create new habits. And that's really how it needs to be done. It needs to be done, like all learning, through repetition. So you choose a small action. You want to change something big. You, you can't climb the Mount Everest in one day. You have to start with little steps. So you choose a little thing that is related to where you want to go. And then you find that little new habit to bake into your daily routines to make it as easy as possible to come back to that. If you want to start meditating, which is incredibly good for the brain, you're not going to start with, and we might want that, with a half an hour meditation every morning. You're never going to manage that. You start, if you can, with five minutes. But that might even be too much. Maybe you have to start with one minute. Maybe you have to start with awareness while you're brushing your teeth. So you know, yes, there is great difficulty in changing behaviors, especially behaviors that have been practiced for a long time, because the brain connections are so strong. And also we identify with what we have done for so long. But bit by bit, yes, we can, we can strengthen, create and strengthen other brain connections and prune away those that, um, or at least weaken those that don't serve us anymore. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And, and maybe just a, a little bit along those, that vein further, my intuition tells me, and, and please tell me if I'm uh, off base here, is that when trying to maybe establish those small behavior modifications in, in a team and organizational context, everything begins and ends with leadership and the leaders ultimately accepting their role in things either not functioning the way they desire in the team or things being a success in the organization. Would you say that that is probably the majority of where change needs to start in terms of an organization? Yeah, I would maybe even go a step further back. It starts with awareness, awareness of what is. Because if you want to go somewhere, you, you will only be able to draw out the path if you know where you're starting from. Mm -hmm. So with every you know with every and i'm saying you have to understand where you're starting from you also have to understand why you want to get where you want to go because we might all say that you know we want uh, we want to be wealthy we want a big house we want uh, you know to have those great holidays or we want to be centered in ourselves so we might all have these ideas of what we want to be but if we don't actually know what we are now and we don't actually take the time to think through why is that something I would want to achieve it's very hard to get there we're like walking in the dark so I would say the first step is awareness and awareness is incredibly valuable but it's also very difficult because awareness comes with honesty <laughs> And sometimes it might not be that beautiful to find the state that you're in. It, you know, the truth might be sometimes difficult to bear, yes. Yeah. But I agree with you that leaders, of course, are at the forefront. Because if you as a leader do not show how you manage your emotions, how you regulate your emotions, how you handle stress, how you 
handle difficult communications, how do you expect your team to, you know, do that better than you since you are the decision maker? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, as I mentioned, human centric leadership, that is something that is really very, very close to my heart. Yeah. Okay. And maybe it's a transition a bit towards, I guess. So from going from learning to modify behavior to maybe just learning things in general, are there parallels between that process that people go through from learning behavior modification, as you stated, starting these small steps, uh, chunks, if you will, and learning hard skills, such as something that SAP learning is most involved with, especially for newcomers who are quite intimidated by a large new topic? Are there any sort of strategies or parallels that you could touch upon uh, when it comes to learning those new hard skills? Yeah, I, I think I'd even like to, if okay with you, I'd like to just briefly go into what learning actually is in the brain. Sure. So when we talk about learning, let's go back to when learning starts, which is really the minute that we are born. As we are born, our brain gets input from the environment, um, which it hasn't had beforehand, and it really needs to learn everything. And as it learns everything, it creates new brain connections. And by everything, I mean that, for example, our brain has to learn to create visual images. Our vision is made in our brain, not in our eyes. It is our eyes that receive the light that then pass that information onto our brains. But it is actually in our brains that the image is made. And that is only possible if at a certain point in our time, the right brain connections are constructed. And the reason I'm bringing this up is just that I want to show how fundamental creating brain connections is and what learning actually means. We learn every day because we get input from our environment that we react to every day and that we may or may not remember however long. And we know that as children, there are certain things that we can learn very easily, which as adults take us more time. And that is because our brain is forming in these early years much more than it is later. It keeps on doing so until the age of around 25. So just imagine that your brain hasn't really finished forming until the age of around 25, which also tells us why certain um, behaviors are very present in adolescence or also can affect the brain much more in adolescence because adolescence is a time where the brain is still going through a lot of changes. In particular, it's taking connections away. So when we are young, we create a lot of connections. And as we grow older, as we grow into adolescence, we start seeing which connections are helpful, which are not so helpful, which ones do we need, which ones have we not needed so much. So there's a clearing out that happens. And then as we, as we become adults, our learning does not end, and I said it already, we really learn every day, consciously or not consciously. And this is really the beautiful field of neuroplasticity, which maybe a lot of uh, the listeners have heard already. Neuroplasticity means learning. It means the brain is changing. And this happens through uh, various things. One thing I already mentioned, which is strengthening of brain connections. And that is whenever you repeat a habit... Or whenever you say something again, you learn a song by heart, or you want to learn a language, or you want to learn to play an instrument, you repeat, which means that you are using a certain brain connection again and again and again, and that brain connection gets stronger, it gets an insulation, it gets stronger and stronger. We also form new connections. As I say, we are learning every day. You have to remember where you parked your car if you want to drive home again 
tonight. That has to be stored somewhere in your brain. But that will be forgotten very quickly because you will prune that connection away again. You won't remember that in two months' time. So we create new connections. That is also learning. If we learn something new, we need to create a connection and we then need to strengthen it. And another thing that happens that is very interesting and has not been known um, until, you know, reasonably recently is that throughout our adult life, our brain keeps making new neurons in a certain part of the brain. So it's not that once we have reached adulthood, our brain is completely finished. Yes, the overall structure is given and you can't just exchange one brain area for another, but you keep on making new neurons throughout your adult life and they are there to learn and to to keep us going, to keep us evolving, which is the word I like to use. These neurons are made in a brain region that is responsible for memory, no surprise there, for exploration, so this is all about learning, for spatial orientation, we might understand why that is important, but this region is also responsible for stress regulation. So uh, that's interesting when we speak about learning and um, strong emotions. Mm So yeah, as we, as we think about these, what happens in the brain as we learn, um, the reason I wanted to explain this is because it does not matter whether you are learning a new motor skill or whether you are learning to sing a song, uh, speak a new language, or you're learning, you know, hard skills of information. There, there may be different memory areas that are used, yes, but um, the process is always going to be the same. You need to create a connection, you need to strengthen that connection, and you might need to strengthen it to an extent that you override another connection, and that's why behavior change is hard. When you learn something completely new, and maybe that is the case in the things that you teach in SAP learning, when you learn something completely new, at least you are not as biased towards how to approach that or how to do a certain thing. Whereas if you want to change behavior, you actually have to override existing brain connections. Okay. So, um, but in the end, it's about, yeah, creating connections, strengthening brain connections. Okay. Makes sense. So, um, yeah, I could see how canceling out or stopping an old behavior and replacing with a new one could definitely be uh, tougher than just learning something that's net new where you didn't have any sort of pre-existing biases to maybe challenge that new input as it comes in. So along those lines, um, are there any sort of behavior modifications that you could leverage to make sort of skill acquisition more efficient? I hate to use the word hacks because that's that's maybe overused. But um, I I think for an SAP learning uh, and for people out there who are learning I think there's often a lot of time pressure and people want to maybe get the information in their head fast, Mm. pass a certification exam Mm. and um, start applying for jobs, that sort of thing. So is there anything that'll make the process uh, easier uh, in any way? Yeah. So one thing to say about, and I'll use the word now, hacks. (laughs) I hope that how I explained what learning actually is in the brain, there's an understanding that it doesn't happen just like this overnight. Mm -hmm. It costs energy, literally Literally, our brain is a huge energy consumer. So it's the, you know, it's the biggest energy consumer in the body if you look at the different organs. So learning, it is effort. Now, how can you learn best so that your effort is used best so that it's, uh, how shall I say, maybe even pleasurable effort? Yeah, there are things that you can do. 
And there will be some things that are probably no surprises here, some things that are maybe more interesting. The first thing really is to decide to learn with intent. So by that I mean with focus and no distractions. So if you know you want to study for an exam or you want to learn um, to use a certain platform or you need to learn a computer language, if you have intent and you know you're going to do that, I just say something now, every day from 8 to 10, or you're going to do that every afternoon at a certain time, be intentional with that. Make sure you have no distractions there because what our brain is scanning for all the time, nonstop in our environment, and we can't stop that, is anything that is new or anything that is changing. Mm-hmm. That's There's an evolutionary reason for that. You know, changes and anything that was new could be a threat or could be something interesting. So turn off that phone, uh, turn off all the pings and dings, make sure that you're really there and that you don't you know, you sit yourself down and avoid procrastination. So that's more easily said than done. But that's what I mean by learn with intent. With that, you should be able to retain focus. And something that really helps you learn to retain focus, apart from getting rid of all the distractions, is some meditation exercises. We like to think meditation is something, maybe not so much anymore, but it used to be a very spiritual thing. Now we understand it does uh, interesting things to us. One thing that meditation actually does, also when you are not meditating, is that it increases your ability to concentrate, your ability to focus. So, um, you know, if you can bring that into your daily routine, a bit of meditation, uh, that's surely helpful. And another little trick, if you can decide on a regular time to learn, so you're going to learn with intent, A good thing to do is prepare everything beforehand. So if, for example, you decide every morning at 8 o'clock or first thing in the morning when you sit at your computer, you're going to start studying or learning or practicing something, and you make sure the evening before that everything is set up for you to do so, that makes it much easier for your brain to shift into that. Because there are a lot of decisions Mm -hmm. that you've already made for your brain same if you want to start exercise, by the way. Make sure that you've, the first clothes that you put on in the morning are your exercising clothes. Um, and then, you know, all you have to do is actually go out the door. The decision has already been made beforehand. So that's another little trick that I would recommend. And, um, yeah, then there's some personal preferences in there, some individuality. How long do you want to learn? How long can you really concentrate? And then be kind to yourself. Understand, I can focus for 20 minutes and then I might need a break. Or I can really sit down and focus for a full hour, and then I might need a break. So um, treat yourself with kindness when you realize your attention is going away, and don't try to force yourself into it. Those are, um, I think, a few tips that I would give to effective learning. All right. Very cool. And switching to the environment, what sort of environmental conditions would you say are optimal for learning? And also maybe mental and emotional conditions. Where, where is your headspace supposed to be? Which I guess you sort of touched on already with intent, but maybe you can expand. Yeah, um, I'll add, I'll add to that. Uh, so yes, no distractions and focus is, is really uh, very helpful. There's, I think, two things that I would add. If you can connect your learning to a deeper meaning for yourself, right? So uh, saying that you are learning a certain skill not just because it was in your development plan, which might be a valid reason, but because you want to 
do something meaningful for others with this new skill. And that might be further down the road, right? That might be in your next job. Mm -hmm. But if you can connect what you are actually learning now, that may at times seem tedious, to a bigger meaning, you will be able to cut out some of the um, procrastination because, you know, meaning is something that really drives us and that creates positive emotions. It's one of the core elements of uh, well-being, meaning, having meaning in what we do. And then as you limit distractions and you speak about the mental, emotional conditions, I throw those together. They're the same. Emotions are made uh, in the mental space. Mm -hmm. Be in a calm state of mind if you can. So, um, you know, don't. If, if you're coming from the last argument you just had with one of your children or a colleague and you sit down and you want to learn, it's going to take you a while to shift into effective learning. So the mental and emotional state you really want to be in is a calm, somewhat positive state. So somewhat a positive outlook of, I managed to learn this. This is really tricky. You know, I know I find this hard. So acknowledge that. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But I'm connecting it to something meaningful that I want to do further down the road. And I'm confident that I can get there. So, um, yeah, calm and a positive, open state of mind and state of emotions. Yeah. All right. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I'll definitely be applying, especially sort of the the meaning part to my learning. I, I don't think I've actually done that sort of attaching what I'm studying with something, a larger life goal. Or ability. So that seems to resonate with me and hopefully with some of our listeners as well. That can be huge, but I, let's make sure it doesn't sound daunting. We often think that we have to have this one big purpose in life, which isn't, that's what's daunting, right? Because many of us don't know what our one big purpose is. And, you know, many of us have multiple purposes because we have multiple roles and we do many things in life and we want to do many things. So it's not that you have to connect it to this one. If you've got a one big life goal, great, fantastic. But if you've got a smaller goal that can also serve the purpose. And by smaller goal, I mean a goal that still is going to serve, you know, some Greater good, by greater I mean a good that is outside of you. Mm -hmm. That's really the the essence of meaning that we find helpful, uplifting, and that's that's one that will drive us. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll, I'll keep that in mind the next time I'm in the middle of an e-learning somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help <laughs> you find it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, speaking of e-learning, something I think a lot of people do, especially when now that sort of the learning learning platforms have entered the same space where they do their everyday work. Yeah. How important is the ability to sort of learn on the fly? So within a constrained time window of a busy schedule, is that possible? Can you take five, seven, 10 minutes between two tasks and switch into learning mode and then go back to your original task? Or is our big blocks of time only the most effective way to, to learn and retain information? Wow. Yeah, that is a very good question. And um, I think a very individual one as well. I have a few thoughts there. First of all, this rush that we have brought into our lives, um, you know, everything has to be quick and immediate and on the spot. Our brains are evolutionarily, you know, they're not old, but evolution is much slower than our society has progressed. So our brains are not made for this quick, 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 quick. We are incredibly quick task shifters. Yes, uh, we can do that. But it is something that costs energy again. So if you are, if you have slept well, 
it's the morning, so you're not tired yet. You haven't made too many decisions yet that day, including maybe what you're going to put on. Silly little things, you know, what you're going to wear, the road, the, the way to work that you're going to take, where you're going to park. All these things are little decisions, but they build up. So you've slept well. You haven't made too many decisions yet that day. Um, you're in a positive, good state of mind. And there's, you know, work and learning that you have to do that you kind of enjoy. You will be able to do quick learning probably much better in small chunks than if you're tired, you've already done loads of things, um, you had, uh, I don't know, the, the kids made uh, it a difficult morning for you, um, there was traffic on the road, so you already come with levels of stress and fatigue, and then you want to learn, already challenging, and on top of that you want to switch, task switch, um, which is an effortful thing for our brains to do, it's going to be harder. Some might still manage it well because they have a very good ability to focus on different things. Again, yes, you can train that. Meditation is the best way to start, which also lowers all of your stress levels. But in general, I would say if you want to do the very quick learning on the fly, consider what you're doing in the other chunks. So is it actually the learning on the fly that is being interrupted and the other chunks are easygoing and, you know, you're in a meeting and you actually have to listen, but there's nothing super critically or emotionally involving that's happening, then you can probably shift quicker again into the learning and focusing. Whereas if you come out of a meeting that was highly engaging and then you want to shift immediately into learning, something completely different, if it's in the same in the same domain, you might manage it better. But mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my answer here is test what works for you and don't expect yourself, especially towards the end of the day, to be as efficient in task switching and in learning as you are when your brain is fresh. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of intuitive sense. So if you're going to be attempting anything that resembles multitasking, do it in the morning when you're still well rested. Yeah. And multitasking is a myth. Multitasking is a matter of task switching and very quick task switching. Mm -hmm. It ties us out. So you can, yeah, better better do task switching consciously yep. than trying to do, two, we all do it. You can do, maybe I should correct, you can do two things at the same time if they are completely different. Like you can walk and talk, <clears throat> right? We can even drive and talk because driving is so automatic. But reading an email and listening to somebody, both involve language, both involve language comprehension. That's hard. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, I noticed that sometimes I listen to music when working and any time I'm reading emails, uh, there can't be any lyrics in the music I'm listening to. Otherwise, Lovely example. lots of wires get crossed <laughs> in my head. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, in another life, I was I was in in the military, and um, we often had to learn in conditions that were less than optimal, just maybe to simulate real life situations that we might find ourselves in. I guess that the the term that I've heard used was stress inoculation, so learning under high stress uh, conditions, um, gunshots, explosions going on around you, can you still figure out this new task and, and carry this out? Is this something that you can, oh, I see you're giving the thumbs down. Is this something that you can sort of train yourself to do, um, learning under high stress or difficult conditions? I, maybe along the same lines of the previous question, um, people trying to do multiple things at once, that sort of thing. This is so interesting what you bring up there. So there's been a study done in the military 
maybe there's been multiple studies done, but I rem- I'm just uh, thinking of one now that was very striking that had exactly and this was this was the elite military right the top um mm-hmm. the, the, i don't know what you call them but those that you really think are the most resilient that can take a lot and they put them through these very difficult conditions of increasing stress tremendously not sleeping not eating well yeah, so tiring you out, not sleeping being a huge thing. We should talk about that. Not sleeping being a huge thing. And they had them do a test where beforehand they had to copy a somewhat complicated drawing, you know, a drawing of you know, some shapes and lines, uh, some triangles, and all in one, in one drawing. So it wasn't a drawing of an object, but it was different geometrical objects in one drawing and patterns. Mm-hmm. So first time, obviously, before the exercise was done, not a problem. And then when you see the images that they were given afterwards, it is shocking. They could not copy the drawing anymore. I mean, some better than others, right? We all have different brains. But you could really see with these highly trained military men that, yeah, also they have a human brain. Also their hippocampus was, you know, giving up also you know no so as you increase stress and stress is a lot of things stress is simply not feeling safe actually is what stress is um stress is stress also is caused by not getting enough sleep chronically right not if you're a parent of young children i don't want to scare you there we are biologically okay (laughs) to have difficult nights but like the for example these soldiers but also if you are a person that's highly stressed and you sleep badly over years, that really affects your brain. And um, there is, uh, yeah, there, there is no um, working around that your brain needs certain ways to recover. Your brain need, sleep, as I say, is a big thing here. Yeah. So where was I going with this? Was to say that it's not about teaching yourself to learn under stress. It's about teaching yourself to become more resilient in a human possible way. So what they did with these military people, I mean, they were probably very resilient in general, but you can't, we are human. You can't maximize resilience to, you know, unlimitlessly. Mm-hmm. But you, you can, of course, strengthen your ability to focus. You can learn emotional regulation. And and that's really what you would have to work on if you want to be able to uh, learn under stressful conditions, with the stressful conditions not being life-threatening, obviously, not being physically life-threatening, I mean by that, Um, but a lot of noise, for example, around you, or with a bit of a tight schedule, what you will need to do is you will need to learn a way to bring that cortisol stress, the so-called stress hormone, down and to focus. So you'll have to do resilience training, not um, not expose yourself to more of the stress, but actually what can I do to calm myself down when that stress comes? Yeah. Okay. So a consultant, for example, working under um, tight time pressure who has to solve a particular problem, it's not necessarily useful for that person to practice solving that problem under stress. First, they should learn how to solve this problem under optimal conditions initially, and then maybe as a separate exercise, practice some resiliency, uh, and then put those two things together in order to solve the problem under stress in real life. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. The, the closer the problem you are solving later under stress is to something that you have done habitually, the easier it's going to become. 
Um, okay. Because yeah, sure. any automatic behavior is easier to access because the connections are stronger than anything that we have only done once. And what happens under stress actually is we don't solve problems at our best. So when we feel stressed, in the, in the very initial stage, we actually have a clarity of mind that is incredible. Mm-hmm. So if we could stay in this very initial stage where neuroplasticity, so the ability to you know, create new connections, is the ground is there for the, the utmost neuroplasticity. So we are in the best state to actually learn to solve problems, to you know, create solutions. This is in a very short time period. Why is that so? Because stress is about being safe. Our brain does not decide between being physically or psychologically safe. So our brain uses the same pathways. So in the first moment of stress, what we need to do is make the right decision to get out of here and stay alive. Mm-hmm. That's why in this first minute, we have a clarity of mind. Memory is exceptional, but that doesn't last for half an hour. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and on top of that, it is geared towards getting us out of the stressful situation. So if we can, and, and this you can maybe practice, if we can, when a stressor comes, practice to become aware of that stressor. So this already awareness again is key because as soon as you are aware of the stressor, you can cut this behavior of, oh, I'm not safe. You know, no, physically I'm completely safe. So there's nothing that's going to come and eat me or hit me. or you know. So if you can train yourself to become aware of the stressor, can you then use that clarity of mind to shift into solving the problem? Mm-hmm. So maybe even turn into a state that we call flow. Flow is the state of um, clarity where the challenge just just a little bit exceeds uh, your capability but you have a perception that you can solve it so if you can be aware of the stress moment and then shift into flow yeah that is good takes practice uh, awareness again being the first step all right i now feel prepared to tackle the next stressful situations at work (laughs) (laughs) or better prepared at least um to notice it to notice it notice it first (laughs) <laughs> yes, self-awareness. It's always a big one. Yeah, indeed. But can be practiced. And- I intend on practicing that uh, more often. But to change speed uh, a little bit and back to learning, and something I've struggled with for years, especially in elementary school, I've remembered this vividly, is distinguishing the difference between understanding and memorization. At SAP Learning, we do have a, a heavy focus on certification and SAP certification and getting people certified after they complete their learning. And I, I think it's key that people approach that topic with the intention of understanding the material because the certification is just a checkpoint to make sure you have a general level of competence. Um, ultimately, you're going to end up going into a partner organization that's going to be doing implementations uh, and, and working with things that you weren't necessarily tested on. So, um, so understanding the material that, that you've studied is critical here. It's not just about passing an exam. So what are some strategies that people can use to check in on themselves while they're learning to ensure they're actually understanding material versus just memorizing what they're reading? Yeah, that's a nice one. Uh, maybe we should add the concept of applying, understanding, memorizing, applying, or maybe we'd put it in a different order, understanding, applying, memorizing. Mm-hmm. The best way to learn and to keep present, so to keep in your memory, is 
to test your, yourself. And while you test yourself, you're testing whether you have understood and whether you remember. And that is, that is actually the challenge that the brain uses to learn. That, that is, in effect, learning that is then kept for a longer amount of time. So you would sit there, you would uh, read the content, mm -hmm. and then you will, yes, try to remember what the content is, but you will think of how you're trying to explain that to somebody else mm -hmm. or how you are actually using that knowledge. So not just reciting it, but how do you actually apply that knowledge? That's where you notice if you have really understood it. Can you, can you explain it? Can you explain it in your own words? And then can you, with that, reapply it? Um, and then you also notice where the memory gaps are. This is what is painful. That's learning. <laughs> You're not painful. This is what is effortful. Um, I go back to learning a language the way uh, you have to learn vocabulary. Well, you have to remember it eventually. And the only way to do it is test yourself. If you just keep on reading the vocabulary, you've read it a hundred times, but that's not what brings it necessarily into your brain. Eventually, you might, you know, you'll pick some things up. But if you really want to be sure that you've learned it, you have to test yourself. So there's two things to effective learning, apart from, you know, all the things that your body needs and, and your brain to keep on going well. But in, in the strategies, there's two things. Testing yourself, as I just said. So always pretend that you are applying, that you are testing and repeating. So don't do it just once, but it's repetitive. And it's the same with behavior change. Uh, in, in one uh, leadership program, uh, we call it spaced repetition. So if you, the longer you want to be able to remember it, the, the bigger you will then make the gaps between the repetitions. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you learn something one day and you repeat it five times, you might not remember it next week. But you, if you learn something today and you repeat it again tomorrow and then you repeat it again at the end of the week and then you do the five times over a longer period of time, you're going to remember it um, for a much longer period of time. Yeah. So yeah, repeat and test yourself. Those are the two things. And as you learn... I mentioned earlier on learning with intent, also setting the intention to remember. So giving your brain these signals that what I'm doing here, I'm going to use. So get your, get yourself into the mode that this is not just an exercise of, you know, reciting later on and then forgetting. No, but this is actually something I'm going to use. So, um, yeah. And then mm -hmm. repeat and test yourself. All right. So resist the urge to just sort of power through a very large amount of, of material and then deceive yourself into thinking that's all in my head um, to maybe take a more iterative approach and do checkpoints and check in with yourself to, and test yourself to make sure you're actually retaining what you're reading. It's as you said, it depends on how you want to use it. Do you just want to get the certificate? Then you can probably do the cramming. Then you can learn it all just briefly beforehand. And mm -hmm. you know, you'll know everything at the moment it, get test it gets tested. Fine. If that was your goal, that can work. But if your goal is to actually have that knowledge present when you use it, when you need it and be able to use it, then, um, yeah, then you will need to go the longer path of repeating, testing yourself, applying, maybe explaining to others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and for the listeners out there who are tempted at the concept of cramming for SAP certification, please don't. Because if you, if you go into the job market with that certification, there's going to be certain expectations that you actually know how to do certain things. And if you forgot those things, it's not going to look too great. So uh, please, please follow, follow the advice of this podcast and space uh, repetition. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then sleep yes. well, sleep well.
<laughs> Shall we go into sleep briefly? Indeed. Shall we talk about sleep briefly? Why sleep is so important? Oh, uh, sure. Um, why not? Yeah, let's go for it. I love sleep. Good. <laughs> um, because in our society, we don't anymore, do we? Um, in the At the beginning of the 20th century, Americans slept for around nine hours. Wow. And that was a standard night. Yeah, exactly. You say, wow, now seven to eight, right? If we're lucky, if we're lucky. So sleeping is so important and just think it has to be because otherwise evolution wouldn't allow us to spend such a big part of our times sleeping. And what happens during sleep is incredibly important for brain health, uh, but also for learning. What the brain does while we are sleeping is that it, it does multiple things. So it has one system that becomes active that allows cleansing to happen in the brain. You must know there are cavities in the brain where there's a certain fluid, uh, the cerebrospinal fluid. And these cavities, they contain this fluid and there are pathways that can flush this fluid through the brain. And interestingly enough, neurons make space while we sleep for this fluid to flush through better. And this only happens when we sleep. So um, it's important to allow this cleansing to happen. What, what is cleansed away is debris. It's bits of protein, bits of, you know, anything that is not needed anymore, half-used uh, nutrients, things that also later clog up and can cause dementia, you know, mm-hmm. for example. That's in, in uh, Alzheimer's, that's bits of proteins that clog up. Um, so cleansing. And another thing that it does there is it, it brings nutrients to the different parts of the brain. So this is this lymphatic system, it's called. That happens during sleep. And another thing that happens during sleep, and anyone who has um, learned for exams will have, will have noticed this, I think. And then you can use it actually consciously. During sleep, your brain consolidates memory. What does that mean? During sleep, if you have started learning something and you go to sleep, you get all the cleaning and all the nutrients and so on. And at the same time, your brain will have realized, oh, this is a connection we use a lot. I'm going to put some insulation around that. I'm going to make that connection stronger. And you use it again. So the next night again, it strengthens that connection. Other connections that are not used you know, will not get that strengthening, will maybe eventually even be cleared away. I mentioned earlier on, where did you park your car two months ago on a Friday? Well, on that Friday, you knew very well. Probably you would have known still on Saturday, maybe even on Sunday. Now, you'll have to first work out which date. You see what I mean? See what I mean? So sleep can be used also for learning, if you are consciously learning something, um, a new skill, a new piece of information, and you do that throughout the day, maybe you do that when your brain is fresh, excellent, in the mornings. And then if you just reread that briefly before going to sleep, I mean, you're sending, first of all, a signal to your brain that this is knowledge you really want to retain. This is knowledge that's important. This is knowledge that's going to be used again. Mm-hmm. And then you sleep over it. Your brain will have worked on strengthening those connections. I used to use that. I had no idea about neuroscience, but that's how I learned a lot of French vocabulary. You know, knowing I do this in the evening and I realized in the morning I would know it. Instead of sitting there before the exam, still trying to get something into your head, do it the night before. You know, not before the exam. You're so, um, you're so agitated. Maybe there's some stress. You're not going to get anything into your head very easily. But the night before and then a good night's rest. Yeah. That's going to help you with retaining, keeping, um, recalling what you've learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and, and touching on the earlier part of the podcast. So maybe sorting out a lot of mental health issues that might be inhibiting your sleep that ultimately could be sort of the performance enhancer that you need in order to, um, well, easier said than done. Like you can't, you don't just sort out mental health issues in, in a week, but, uh, just, uh, the general idea being prevention. Yeah. It's like with our physical health. We do a lot of things for preventing bad health, right? We go yep. and drink enough water and we go and exercise. It's the same with uh, with our mental health. And funnily enough, very similar things apply to our mental health. You need to sleep. If you want to exercise the following day, you want to be fit, you're going to want to sleep. If you want to be fit in your brain, you, you'll, have to, you'll have to sleep. Uh, you need certain foods, not just for your body, but actually also for your brain. You know, your brain is made of partly what, what you eat. Where is it going to get the food from? Yes, we can make a lot of things in our bodies, but it depends on what we put into our bodies. Right. What nutrients do we give our body to make the neurotransmitters that later on make us happy or sad or you know act in certain ways? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, sleep and uh, general good health habits, they have a big effect on how our brain functions. Yeah. In- indeed. And I think that the next question... You've largely answered already, but maybe you have a couple other thoughts regarding knowledge retention, especially in terms of if you need to study a skill, acquire a skill, and for whatever reason, it's not going to be tested or applied for the next few weeks. Um, How do you prevent knowledge loss for something that you're not immediately going to be applying after you study it? What are some things you can do to keep keep it fresh up there in your brain? Yeah, I, I think you can guess. You have to keep looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to keep looking at it. And then maybe decide, if this is a piece of information that I don't need yet, but I know I'm going to need later, do I want to learn that later? Or is it a piece of information that I'm going to need throughout my lifetime? Then it doesn't really matter when I start learning it. But um, yeah, there's uh, there's no trick to uh, learn something today, put it on hold, not look at it, and then have it all present again in two years' time. <laughs> Unless, it, you know, there, it, these things do happen when, when we have uh, traumatic events. You know, everybody thinks they remember where they were when 9-11 happened, mm-hmm. right? So we have these, we call these flashbulb memories. It's very difficult to use in regular, in daily learning. But... Um, also, the interesting thing is that we all think we remember exactly where we were, but a lot of memories are actually false, and none of us will believe that we are wrong. So uh, emotions can have a big effect on how we remember things, um, and then we think we've remembered it for a long period of time, but actually what happened, the emotional effect was that we don't remember it accurately at times. So um, no, if you want to have it present, you have to do the work, do the learning, and then, yeah. Learn the bits that uh, you keep forgetting again and again. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So n- no shortcuts out there, unfortunately. Difficult. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me when you found one. <laughs> I-, I will do that. Um, so I-, I guess going towards the, the close of the podcast, since we've-, we've taken so much of your valuable time already, maybe you want to share some extraordinary experiences that your clients have shared with uh, Engage to Involve and um, that has had a significant change in the way you think, live, work, or apply your craft. So maybe some some reverse learning um, your, your clients have, through their mere existence or um, interaction with you, have uh, had an impact on you. Yeah, what, what always strikes me is how people 
appreciate simply being seen and heard. And this is something that we have moved away from a lot in business because everything has to happen quickly. We've got so many goals to meet and we have so many development plans and we have, you know, uh, the next quarter end is just around the corner. But what people appreciate, and this is really something that managers can do, I always thought fairly easily, is to give space for the individual that is around them. And, and, and it strikes me every time when you sit somebody down and you listen to them and you don't try to give solutions, you don't try to um, question what they're saying, you just give them the full presence of who they are with whatever problem they do or don't have, whatever they've experienced, and you show interest in that, it is incredible how people open up. How people open up simply mm -hmm. because they are uh, seen as the entire individual and they open up in coaching lessons, but also in my professional life in business, that was a realization that I, I always found that very satisfying. When you connect human to human, you have a, um, a possibility to communicate and to change things and to do things that goes far beyond um, yeah, just uh, running after the next, you know, whatever task it was that was there to be accomplished. So, um, yeah, that, that's really a piece I would like everybody to take away with. Understand that you have a brain that is human and that needs care. And we spoke about sleep quite a bit. We have not so much mentioned exercise, but that has a huge effect in learning as well and in being well. It creates new neurons, by the way. When you exercise, especially run, choose an exercise you enjoy, you will boost neurogenesis. So look after yourself and then give space to the other human being because they just want to be seen and recognized as who they are as well. So, um, yeah, it's always very rewarding, regardless of the stress around. See the human. Mm. All right. Outstanding. See your colleagues and other people as fellow human beings. Great yeah. words <laughs> to close on. Um, and, and very quick, uh, Natalie engage to evolve uh, so how, how can folks reach out to you how can they find you and um so what are your your channels and services that you provide so yeah so there is of course uh, the website www.engagetoevolve.com and the two is a two engage number two evolve.com um easiest probably is to find me on linkedin though so um, that's natalie jane wood um, because there are a lot of Natalie Woods. Natalie Jane Wood on LinkedIn, that's uh, me. I'm also on Instagram, again, engaged to evolve with the two. So you can reach me through all of those channels. And uh, yeah, then I'd be happy to have discussions to see what we can do. Yeah, I've got quite a few collaborations ongoing as well in the mental health sphere, but also in the leadership training domain. So, um, yeah, would be happy to hear from anybody and uh, hope, hope we could give information that is insightful and helpful. Great. Many thanks, Natalie, for your time. Thank you, David. Really enjoyed it. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening.